welcome to Dark Matter Uncovered in this special podcast series. Thierry and Adrian explore the breadth of opportunities in the emerging space sector, a new key pillar of the Luxembourg economy. Dark Matter Uncovered is a Lux Unplugged production supported by Hogan Lovells, a global team advising clients on their most complex legal issues on Earth and beyond. Hi, I'm Adrian. Welcome to the third episode of Dark Matter Uncovered, our special series dedicated to space in Luxembourg and beyond. On this occasion, I'm talking to Artem Axelrod and Alex Pospochov, co-founders at Mission Space, graduates of the Fit for Start program in Luxembourg. They walk me through the mission of their startup and why they chose Luxembourg's space ecosystem to set up shop. Pioneers of space weather intelligence in the commercial area, Alex and Artem explain to me why this particular field is important in various applications of space exploration, but also how this impacts humanity on Earth. As listeners will hear in a moment, space weather differs from terrestrial weather, as the latter is a term that all of us are familiar with as it impacts us on a daily basis. But without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Artem Axelrod and Alex Prospikov, co-founders at Mission Space. Artem, Alex, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, hi there. Thanks for having us. It's an absolute pleasure. So before we kick off this conversation, we have a, an actual very established tradition. Before we dive into the core of our topic, we like to know who we're talking to. So perhaps, Artem, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you very much. So my name is Artem Axelrod. I'm co-founder and CEO at Mission Space. A little bit for background, um, I studied uh, in the United States in Suffolk University. I have a degree uh, in business management and administration. After that, I worked for a couple of years in different companies, in different tech companies, uh, in business development sphere. And uh, it's been two years since we started Mission Space. It was actually March of uh, 2020. I started the side project and uh, now we're here. And uh, I guess in a nutshell, this is my story, a uh, short one. And thanks for giving me the, the word to introduce myself. Uh, thank you, Artem. Hello. Yeah, my name is Alex Pospechev. I'm the co-founder of the Mission Space. In Mission Space, I'm in charge of bringing money to the company and the fundraise. I studied marketing many, many years ago, and totally I have more than 15 years experience in the tech business and especially early stage uh, startups. As Artem mentioned, it's been really two years when we started Mission Space at the idea, because everybody, we were sure that space uh, is like internet 30 years ago, it's like new frontiers that we will we need to go on. Right now, we are on a very good way. You started this venture a couple of years ago, um, but when I did my research about you guys, I actually realized that the whole founding team, so you plus your other two co-founders, I thought it very interesting because you had a very uh, diverse background, so not necessarily space-related. First of all, you know why? Why did you choose space as a, as a career path, and what made you? What was the, what were the ingredients that put you all together to to launch this all this entire space venture? That is a wonderful question. Thank you, Adrian. And I guess I'll start, and Alex can it up when I finish. I guess it's worth saying that our CTO and co-founder is my dad, who is a satellite engineer and has over thirty years of experience in uh, satellite developing, designing, manufacturing. So it's uh, obvious that space has always been close to me since I was a child, and I was always interested in those space shuttle flights and, and overall space pro space progress. Yeah, I chose a business uh, business 
degree, I, I studied in um, business management. And there uh, at Suffolk University in Boston, I met Senia Moskalenka, who's our CEO and co-founder as well. Um, and um, she was a great student and um, she was very responsible, hardworking. And after I graduated and worked in several companies in business development sphere, my dad came to me and said, look, I have this, this idea. I've been doing space weather on institutional level, but uh, what if we do it commercially? What if we try to pursue a venture and, um, and do business? And I thought that I need uh, someone who I can rely on, who I can trust, who I can work with, who is hardworking and responsible, who has great communication skills. And it was Xenia. And um, this is how we started as a side project. I also knew Alex prior to that, but I guess, I'm going to give the word Alex to finish up and uh, tell you his side of story, how it happened and how we all came up together. Thank you. Arne. Yes, it was a very interesting story. I met our CTO, Dmitry Axelrod, absolutely accidentally. The friend of mine uh, told me that there is a very interesting guy who is like engineer, was but with business background, you must meet him. Uh, I, I met Dmitry. We, we spoke about some business matter. But then he told me, hey, by the way, I have like 30 years, 30 years experience in the space tech. I, I built satellites uh, and so on. And I said, wow, I did nothing about this space. I came, I came home. I downloaded the uh, European Investment Bank report uh, where they told that we need to bring more non-technical people to the space industry so they can make the same revolution they made with the Internet and IT 20 years ago. And I said, aha, it's my moment. At the, at the time we met, I really did. I, I really had zero idea about the space. I only know that the there is Elon Musk who who sent rockets to space, and it was it. So essentially, what what you're saying is that the space sector is moving moving away from this technical aspect of things, or this perception from the public that it's a very technical field, and it, it's just engineers or like very deeply skilled engineers going into this. And now it's becoming more and more like a an accessible, a a widely publicized sector, and that's 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 where it's going, in your opinion. Yes, yes. So the whole idea that you know, thirty years ago, internet and tech also uh, uh, were made by technical guys right now the same transition happens really in space because uh, after uh, after the Elon Musk said that we will uh, lower the price of sending kilo to the orbit after it, it autom automatically uh, transitioned to the new business models so for example uh, now and maybe in five years in the upcoming five years you have the business model the new businesses that were unimaginable even two years ago and at, at this point, more and more non-technical, but let's say more business people come into the space for domain. And what is more important than the, uh, there are more people than, uh, than can explain in the simple terms what the space is, how can usual people benefit from it? So where is the business side? You know, yes. So the answer is yes. Okay, excellent. We're talking about the business side. So you launched Mission Space, like you said, a minute ago, two years ago. But before we spend more time on understanding, you know, what's the whole, what's the whole spiel behind it? Obviously, the natural question I would tend to ask you is, so what is the mission behind Mission Space or the actual purpose? Why you launched the company? Um, that's a very good question. And uh, I believe there are several things that I would like to, uh, uh, to mention in, in, in my answer. First of all, exploration in general. Uh, it, it's incredible. What? what's happening in terms of space industry, the evolution of space industry, not only Elon Musk, but other guys such as Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, 
we can talk about Spark Global as well, how space is becoming more accessible and accessible. And there is a lot of interest in, in learning what's happening up there. Um, there are many, many companies that do Earth observation, that, that take pictures of Earth, that provide analytics on that. But there are not a lot of tools that actually do space observation. And uh, we want to tackle this because we believe it, it, there is a lack, the lack of study on this particular topic. And the second thing is we, every day we, we wake up and most of us like, uh, most of us like when there is sun outside. And we don't really know a lot about sun. So uh, we um, decided that we have to know more about it and we want to study it and uh, want to provide analytics on it because we believe it, it's a crucial um, aspect of our life. And uh, this is part of the reason we started Mission Space. Yes, as Artem said, uh, every day we wake up and see what, and we see the sun and we see ourselves as the enabler of the future space exploration. Because uh, you couldn't you couldn't explore moon without having without monitoring the radiation level. You couldn't exp you could you could not go to the Mars uh, without also monitoring them. So we see ourselves as a necessary part that will enable people to uh, explore this space and move forward with this domain. So one of the components that uh, that revolves around your business model, as as far as I understand it, because uh, I'm not a specialist, uh, I. Probably, you know, probably a few years back compared to you uh, in terms of knowledge and, and expertise. Uh, so, so I'm going to maybe start with uh, the, the basic questions that you'd ask uh, as, as the audience and as the host in, in my case. So you're saying that, you know, observing the sun, exploring space comes with, you know, you need data, you need analytics to understand, you know, how to, to approach this, this whole environment. So you pay attention to space weather so space weather is a term that i mean everyone knows weather but probably not the same not the same connotation as uh, as space weather the way you're tackling it in your so why is mission space focusing on analyzing space weather and i believe you also said that or you say that it's it's one of the the things to look forward to is one of the hazards that are part of this exploration so why what is the kind of problems that you're solving when analyzing space weather in that case so let's start with the term space weather. And as you mentioned, it actually differs from terrestrial weather. But uh, I'd like to give a simple comparison. So there is terrestrial weather, there is, there is snow, there is rain, uh, there are hurricanes that happen on Earth. But there is space weather. And space weather refers to varying conditions of the sun. And you may know space weather in regards to geomagnetic storms, solar radiation, radio blackouts, coronal mass ejections, and etc. So it's basically the weather in space that affects not only space-based infrastructure, such as satellites, it can actually completely destroy satellites. It can lead to anomalies that can lead to uh, damage of certain parts and components of the satellite. It, it can expose uh, astronauts to threatening radiation doses. But besides, as I mentioned, but besides affecting space-based infrastructure, it can also affect ground-based infrastructure. So there are power grids that that are used to basically power uh, and provide us with electricity. Uh, and there have been several, several cases in the history when uh, space weather, specifically geomagnetic storms, caused blackouts. I, I believe it was 1989 and it was in Canada and Quebec. Uh, a strong geomagnetic storm completely shut down uh, Quebec power grid and it led to 5 million people uh, without electricity. Toronto Stock Exchange was uh, completely uh, shut down. Trains, bridges, 
and it happened and it lasted for hours and i believe uh, this is this is huge and there is a need to actually monitor and be able to predict those events and mitigate them so i'm i'm sorry for such a long answer but but the main idea behind us measuring the space weather is believing that it's underestimated and that it has huge uh, huge effects on both ground and space-based infrastructure and um, we have to be able to track it like we do with terrestrial weather Yes, and uh, as Artem told, very, very interesting, but very long story about uh, about the technical side of the space weather. So we see ourselves as uh, the guys who can uh, provide you with simple solution, because uh, right now you, you've heard about that SpaceX lost their satellites like months, one month ago. And it happened uh, because space weather is still very complicated domain. And uh, you need to have... You, you don't need uh, to have like complex uh, technical description. You really need to have uh, si- uh, simple solutions to mitigate those risks. Something that, that I also wanted to ask is, so who traditionally or not traditionally, but what will be your clients? Who will be pitching this service to normally? That's an interesting question. Since we started, we had to go through a huge customer discovery process because prior to us, it hasn't been sold as a service on a commercial basis. And we identified several industries who are, are, who are our clients. And one of them are the satellite operators. All of the, most of the satellite operators that uh, have their satellites on orbit right now, they know what space weather is. A lot of them monitor it. And um, most of them who monitor them, they admit that there is a lack of space weather services and uh, there is a need for a new level of intelligence. Besides that, well, if we look uh, in the foreseeable future, Space tourism is uh, is an industry that that we're tackling. For example, we take Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, SpaceX, and and other companies that are working on uh, space tourism. They will send people to space, and uh, you have to be able to track radiation levels uh, to be able to um, not expose people to that. Also, there is uh, aviation, specifically on high uh, latitude flights, transatlantic flights. There might be some potential of being exposed to high radiation levels as well during some strong geomagnetic storms or radiation storms. We can also talk about the ground infrastructure, as I mentioned, power grid operators. Those guys are a little bit conservative because the last event that, that actually uh, had serious impact on ground-based infrastructure was 2003, so it's been around 20 years. But it's going to happen again, and uh, power grid operators they need to also track. They need to be able to track uh, space weather events. But there are more space exploration, as Alex mentioned, uh, all those missions to the moon. And in comparison to the Earth, which is protected by mag- by ma- magnetic field, moon is not. So it, it's not protected from space weather events from radiation at all. So you have to you have to monitor it and be able to predict if you'd like to do some R&D on the, on, on the moon, have their base or have your base on the moon. So there are many, many industries and uh, we're trying to tackle all of them. So we, we explored the, the whole mission of uh, mission space and uh, you know how you are delivering or producing your service uh, to your client base. But this also brings me back to the question, and this is the core of, of our mission here at Luxembourg, just talking about Luxembourg. So how do you fit into the whole ecosystem? So my question to you is, we know, I mean, our listeners know that from previous episodes that we've released, uh, Luxembourg is a rising ecosystem for the space sector, and the government has been very adamant to uh, to promote it. But still, I'd like to understand, you know, from your perspective, why, so why did you choose the Grand Duchy as your 
place to do business over I, I suppose there, there are many other places in the world where you could do the same but what were what were the attributes that attracted you to Luxembourg well Grand Dash is, is simply the best place where you could right now have your space tech business so there are many locations that could that can provide you with different aspects of the space business because for example we understand that uh, you could not build you could you can build a rocket in the Grand Duchy. You simply don't have the production facility, you don't have space ports and so on. Uh, but in Grand Duchy, you, first of all, you have the government that think that space is a really new frontier. You have the support uh, for the early stages companies and they're monitoring global startups and asking them to come to Grand Duchy. For example, we won the Fit for Start competition one year ago and it was our main goal for the last year. Um, because uh, you have support from the business side. You have like grants, you have people that are doing space business in it. Simply, you can reach everyone if you, if you, if you need to have some advice or to ask people how you must do this or, or that thing. So in, my, in, in our opinion, Luxembourg right now, really the best place because I have so big influx of talent. You have uh, so many people in the government that, support you and what what is more important that they understand what you are doing they understand that it's not easy because you know the space is hard and building space startups is 10 times harder than building i don't know hardware startups you say it's t- 10 times harder compared to other other startups what what kind of challenges are there well first of all there are no proven business models so you're going to the field where you, you can't find any help you must be like the Maverick, the first guy who comes to this, for example, we are the first company that, that is selling uh, space weather data on the commercial basis. Nobody done things like this before. And uh, you have the issues. You need to send your hardware to space. Uh, you must plan it in advance minimum one year. You must uh, secure a huge amount of funding. And if something happens, then you need to secure this amount of funding again. So building uh, space hardware is something similar to building usual hardware, but uh, sending it to space requires you minimum 100 or 200 euro to send it. And, you know, with the situations going on, it's really hard to, you know, plan, <laughs> plan everything for the upcoming year because we started the mission space at the idea in the late 2019. All of our lis- listeners know what happened after. And... Uh, it really affected space also, but you couldn't simply you know, t- uh, turn off your development. You, you simply can't say, okay, I will not go on this flight. We will, uh, we'll, we will launch our satellites on the NASA flight. It, it just doesn't work like this. It was a challenge and you, you guys made it. So again, fit for start. Congratulations on that. And not, re- not too long ago, you, um, you managed to actually onboard a, or sign a commercial agreement with a company based in Bulgaria called Endurosat. What are the key highlights of this uh, particular uh, agreement? Thanks all for bringing this question in. And uh, the first thing is uh, what I would like to mention is that uh, guys from Endurosat have been really supportive. We actually signed a deal where uh, it's going to be our in-orbit demonstration flight. Uh, and uh, they are the ones who are providing shared uh, satellite services, meaning that we have our payload that's been integrated into their satellite, and then their satellite is sent to the orbit, and it flies our payload along with others. Uh, and uh, for us, 
why is it very important? Because first of all, we're going to be gain, gaining our in-orbit uh, heritage. And uh, on top of it, we are going to be uh, working on uh, correlation analysis, which is one of the key, key aspects of our business. Meaning that, uh, what I mean by correlative analysis. So our detectors on board of, of Sundarisat satellites will be measuring high energy particles of protons and electrons, in other words, radiation levels, simply saying. And we'll be able to correlate those uh, radiation effects with the anomalies that are happening on board of the satellite, of the systems that are uh, located on the satellite. And this will allow us to provide analytics and understand what is the correlation and improve and, uh, and uh, come up with a certain level of uh, intelligence that would further on help satellite operators to mitigate the effects of space weather. So this mission, which is planned to actually launch in January of 2023, is the first step and the crucial and one of the most crucial steps for us to be able to uh, build the venture the way we'd like to build. So if that's a, that's the, the, the crucial step that leads you to, to this particular uh, point of your existence, may I ask, so have you got any other exciting things that are of interest and that will lead you to the, you know, that will allow you to fulfill your mission uh, in the coming months or, or perhaps years? Yeah, absolutely. So besides besides working on the payload integration with Endurasat and the launch, we're also working on the development of the first version of our base weather services cloud platform which will be based on the public data, but uh, run through our own algorithms and presented into user-oriented format. And what I mean by user-oriented format is providing a user, a customer, to uh, either log into our cloud platform or use APIs to drag the data analytics he needs. And this is what's missing right now, because currently, I'm not going to name those uh, organizations that provide space weather uh, on, a, on a free basis, but they do it in... Uh, email format. Once a week, you receive an email with the summary of space other events, and that's it. And uh, we want to bring it on another level. Uh, on top of it, we're working on uh, we have several other uh, contracts in the pipeline. Uh, we're also working on several other partnerships. And uh, I guess you understand, I, I cannot disclose it yet, but uh, we'll be happy to share it and we'll do public releases as soon as we are ready to. Uh, on top of it, we're also working on the uh, on our next steps on how to proceed further on. Because for us, having only one payload up there on orbit is not enough. For us, in order to be able to provide real-time space weather nowcast and forecast services, we need to have 24 payloads on orbit. And thus, we're working on uh, signing a partnership to be able to launch all of them in the short in the shortest possible term to provide uh, services uh, we would like to provide uh, as fast as we can. Out of interest, are you hiring now? Has the company been growing? Uh, yes, uh, we're currently uh, working on hiring the IT lead developer. And um, it's been a challenge, to be quite honest. Um, since we're a small startup still, we're raising funds, uh, we're, raising our, we're closing our seed round. And we identified that uh, we need a lot of resources to be able to hire um, the, the, the credible IT team that will be able to lead our software part of the of the team. Other than that, uh, we're looking for um, interns, people who want to work in space industry. Those can be engineers or uh, just web developers. 
because we believe that uh, since we have this opportunity to to give other people access to space, we want to share it. And uh, this is part of the mission. So uh, yeah, we are looking into hiring new people and uh, attracting more and more talents uh, because the team is, uh, if not the most, but one of the most important things in the company. After talking about actually, you know, talking about talent, uh, it also brings me on to again the the whole benefits of the European or even the Luxembourgish space ecosystem. Luxembourg. With with the support, I mean, we've been in touch with uh, Mark Serres, so he's the CEO of um, the Luxembourg Space Agency in this case. He's been talking about the need for Luxembourg to develop a better commercial framework to attract the uh, all, all the space startups or space business in general, and and of course also to have an an internally grown um, university program that forms or that trains up the talent that will be sourced. So my question to you is, is there any firm commercial benefit that you can derive from having collaborations or, or help from the, the respective agencies like the ESA or European Space Agency or, or Luxembourg, uh, Luxembourg Space One? This is a good question because uh, when you ask about our potential customers and clients, uh, one of the biggest ones in the long term would be the government. Because currently, if we talk about ESA, ESA provides space weather services publicly. They have their own data. It's being provided and delivered via some kind of portal. Uh, and uh, we have been in talks with uh, with ESA and actually with LFA. And uh, our goal is to actually set up a space weather excellence center. But uh, I believe Alex is going to be happy to share more on that uh, after I finish. Um, but on top of it, of course, providing the valuable data that will be uh, measuring and monitoring to uh, government agencies to um, increase capabilities of uh, space weather monitoring is something we look forward to. So in the short term, yes, of course, uh, funding, grants, support, but it all starts here. When you start working in uh, on early stages with the government agencies, uh, preparing a business plan, a five-year business plan, and showing the commercial potential of your project, working hand in hand to reach certain milestones will eventually lead to um, becoming a partner, becoming partners and um, uh, being able to support European space ecosystem in general. And we want to be a part of it. And Alex, if you have anything to add about Space Weather, uh, space weather Excellence Center in, in Luxembourg, uh, feel free. Yes, we think uh, so. We we will build the Space Weather Excellence Center in Luxembourg because uh, Luxembourg uh, now moving to the data economy, and uh, the data data is very very crucial in in our business because uh, we think that Europe must have its independent space uh, providers, independent space data, because what we have right now in the space weather domain mainly owned by American companies. And you know that the European Union spends lots of money, lots of resources uh, and talent to build the independent system for the space exploration. So we will build Space Weather Excellence Center in the upcoming year in Luxembourg. Now, in the interest of time, I'd like to ask you guys a, a question because I, you've been around for two years. You've had ups and downs in, you know, throughout the journey and, and in a startup, you enjoy those moments when there's a winning of a contract or, or anything like that. So perhaps, so each of you, do you have any, can you maybe name one key seminal moment that you, uh, 
you've experienced throughout the, the journey? <laughs> the most happiest moment uh, in the last year was the moment when we received uh, positive approval from the FIFA start. Uh, it was very exciting because uh, we spent the whole April with uh, talks uh, with the FIFA start jury. Uh, we had like two iterations, uh, two, two presentations, and they promised us, you know, to come back in two days three days, four days, five days, no answer. And I, at the morning, I wrote my, uh, I, I wrote to the team, uh, okay, we will not go to the Luxembourg, it's over. And just in an hour, we received the happy letter. And in my, in my opinion, it was the, the moment where everything changed and, you know, like the rocket going to space. Of course, Fit for Start is a, is a starting point uh, for us, for our journey, for our actual journey. But for me, I, I, I remember when we signed the contract for the launch, I was very happy because uh, you work and you actually want to, want to, to be able to, to feel and to, to feel your progress. And uh, when we signed the contract for the launch and when we started working on the payload and development and payload integration, this were the understanding that it's actually real comes to you and it gives you another boost. So this was the moment that actually gave me another boost of motivation, another boost of power and interest to go forward and work more and and, and do more outreaching and talk to more people and et cetera. So I'm waiting for January to be able to uh, go to United States and, and look at the uh, Falcon 9 rocket that's gonna carry our small payload in there. Well guys, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It was an amazing uh, conversation and it's very interesting to always uh, you know, find out about an emerging space uh, sector with uh, people that are breaking the ice and um, I look forward to speaking to you in the near future to talk about your future endeavors. Thank you, thank you very much for having us. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. That was Dark Matter Uncovered, your special series dedicated to the Luxembourg space industry and beyond. Subscribe to our Lux Unplugged podcast feed to continue receiving future episodes either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.